Hello there, this is Guru talking to you about Anchor.fm. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First off, it's completely free. Second, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will also distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast as well with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Ballistic Podcast live from San Jose, California. I'm Guru Ramprakash, and with me through Skype in Monterey is Vikram, Vikram Kant. Vikram, how are you doing? Living the dream, Guru. How are you? Uh, I'm doing great. You're always living the dream, Vikram. What's your secret? Secret is be content with what you got. Oh, okay. Okay. So uh, I, I, I think you kept that short and sweet. Uh, how, how was your week? Uh, pretty decent, man. Busy, but when isn't it? How was your week, man? Yeah, I mean, it, it was great. You know, I flew back in to the Bay and, uh, you know, the Bay's great. I, I guess it's a little wet, though. Um, I, I would say that. And it's supposed to rain tomorrow. So we need the rain. So we, we do. It's good. We really do need the rain. We need the water. And uh, so with that, uh, let's let's get into the topics that we have for the podcast today. We have a lot of topics to talk about, including, you know, Tom Thibodeau getting fired. Uh, DeMarcus Cousins returning on January 18th against the Clippers. And also, we want to talk about that OKC Spurs game that happened Thursday night. That was a great game with, uh, I guess, a lot of playoff implications, so we want to get into that. But the first thing we, we want to talk about today is actually something that happened today. Uh, that is Saturday, what's the date? January 12th. So if you're listening to this podcast late, we're talking about something that happened on January 12th. Kyrie Irving, after the Celtics lost to the Magic at Orlando, uh, came out and basically said that the young players aren't ready for playoff basketball, even though it was the young players who really played last year. And that if you think that it's going to be this way now, think about how it's going to be in the playoffs just after one game. I guess you could say that it is an overreaction, but Vikram, I wanted to get your take on this. What do you think of Kyrie Irving's comments? So I, I do think part of it was uh, was born out of frustration uh, due to how that game ended with the ball never even getting close to Kyrie, who was completely uninvolved in the play. And I think a, a pretty... A pretty good argument can be made that in the in the final seconds, in the final final play of the game, the ball should probably go to Kyrie Irving, mostly because he's proven it over his career. He's made a lot of game-winning shots. Uh, and he was particularly frustrated that Gordon Hayward made the pass to Tatum with so much time left when he, the ball could have been inbounded to Al Horford and Al Horford given the ball to Kyrie. So, I mean, I think part of it was frustration about the play call itself in terms of the read that Gordon Hayward made. But as Brad Stevens put it, uh, the curl for Tatum was one of the options on the play, and he was okay with that, even if it wasn't necessarily the single best outcome that could have occurred on the play. That being said, I do think the play would have worked better had Kyrie gotten the ball, and I think they would have had a better shot at winning the game had he got the ball. But, you know, that aside, I think the game was, was pretty good, but the Celtics seriously shouldn't even be in that position to start with. And I think the first question you have to ask yourself is Kyrie, which he said, I have to do a better job leading. So he understands this. You shouldn't be losing to the Magic in the first place. Like, that's the biggest thing. Yeah, and I guess we can go we can go back and forth with, with that. But I guess in the regular season, games like that do happen. So when they do happen, you're, you're going to have to know how to recover from that. Just, you know, throw it in the dustbin. Let's look forward to the next game. I think this is Kyrie Irving still learning how to be a leader. Um, obviously, he's a leader on the court in terms of he he takes all the big shots, he makes all the big plays for the Celtics, and that's fine. And that 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 is something that Kyrie Irving was born with, and that is why he's a superstar in this league. However, I think uh, you know being more of a verbal leader, communicating with the young players in in a way that they feel you know respected and. Um, and they feel motivated to to play uh, at, at a at a better um, 
level. At the highest level, really. Yeah, I, I think that's still something that Kyrie Irving is, is still trying to work on. Uh, and if I'm the young players on the Celtics, uh, obviously this comes from a uh, comes from a place of immaturity. They would probably say like, wait, look, wait, hold up, wait a second. We won two playoff series last year, and it would have been three had you know LeBron not come back and won Game Seven. So why are you calling uh, us out like this, saying that we probably we we probably couldn't win a playoff game? Yeah, yeah. I, I Bikram take over. It's kind of like newsflash. We kind of did this without you last year. You were hurt, and we had to ball out. And again, it comes from a position of immaturity. Maybe this year with heightened expectations, they realize, hey, maybe Kyrie was right. But right now, they probably feel like, wait a second, we won two playoff series. Yeah, I, I don't. So I understand Kyrie's frustration. I do. Uh, and I do think that the play could have been better executed. So like from that perspective, I understand where he's coming from. That being said, I do think it's bad form to say that publicly and gesticulate as much as he did in the moment. And he had to have known when he was doing that that this this type of thing where we're picking it apart would occur. And I think it just it shows you how tenuous relationships are in the NBA in the sense that, well, do the Celtics have to keep him? Not necessarily. Does he want to stay with the Celtics even though he's committed to them? You know, we were talking about it earlier. I only ever said that I think it's the most likely outcome, but I don't think it's impossible for him to leave. And maybe this is the type of thing that if the if the situation doesn't get resolved and the pecking order doesn't get established, he may leave again. He's already done it once, right? He was very dissatisfied with the pecking order in Cleveland and made a decision. Wow, Vikram, hot take. This is hot take Vikram on the Ballistic Podcast. You will only hear it here. <laughs> I'm not sure how hot of a take it is because it's I mean, it's just realistic, like a guy may or may not stay depending on what occurs. I think there are circumstances that would make him not want to stay. And this type of thing certainly doesn't help it. I mean, I think it's very premature to say he would he will or wouldn't because we're so far away. But as a team this year, I feel like the Celtics have underwhelmed. And the reason I say you got to win games against teams like the Magic are there have been a lot of games this year where they've they've lost teams that they shouldn't be losing to. So I just think this is this is more about how their season has been than it is specifically about this particular outcome. But you're right. Like one game, one game is not end all be all. I will say this. Kyrie, as as a person, sort of lacks patience. And 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 this is where we're coming to. Right. If during the during the point where he has to make his free agency decision, he's unhappy at that point in time, that in and of itself is enough I don't think he has the sort of mental capacity to look at a situation as a whole and uh, at least by himself. Obviously, he has his agent. He has his family to to guide him through the process. But by himself, I highly doubt his ability to analyze a situation at its whole. And and, and that's why we have doubts. And uh, again, we hope that Kyrie stays and... um, well, speak for yourself there. <laughs> uh, well, uh, oh, really? Uh, you you want to bring another hot take with you? I mean, not necessarily. I I just I like change in the NBA. I enjoy watching people move. I enjoy, you know, teams changing and personnel changing. I enjoy watching that. I think the idea that I I think it's unreasonable to really expect any any player to truly be able to analyze everything themselves, like you're saying. I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily think it's just Kyrie. I think this is pretty much any and every player or any and every human being, right? You need guidance from people around you to have more of the full perspective on things. So I, I enjoy that concept because you're totally right. None of us can really truly uh, – none of us can really truly make all of these decisions without that help. And I hope Kyrie Irving has the ability to reach out to people and do all that. But from all accounts, he's kind of a, a quirky guy, right? You know, even without the earth is flat comments, he's just a different guy. And so I'm not sure about the extent of his relationships with all of the young people on his team. Although I do know that, you know, he was one of the guys who gave, you know, Terry Rozier a bunch of shoes for the playoffs. And he does a lot of stuff for his teammates. And I just think this is one of those moments where there has to be a, a recalibration and an understanding of what are our, our, the primary focuses on offense are as far as end of game shot making. And we talk about this all the time. Who's going to take the shot for you in the last moments? Well, if you told me Kyrie Irving wasn't getting the shot in the last moment, I'd be like, yeah, it's not going to happen. So I do think that I understand why he is frustrated. But, you know, long story short, I don't think it's going to be that big of a deal unless 
this type of issue continues, and even more so if the if the Celtics continue to lose games that they really should be winning. Like the Magic are a pretty decent team, and they have some good talent. And when that that talent is hot, you know, things can happen. And shout out to our boy Aaron Gordon from uh from San the Jose. local. Yes, from yeah. Archbishop Mini High School, San Jose, it's, Bay Area. It's really like uh, five minutes away from where we live, so yeah, it's, yeah, uh, it's mean, nice. It's very cool to see someone from our area make it big in the NBA. And, he, I mean, he's doing well, so good for him. We support he had him 100%. Tonight, so. yeah. yeah, he 28 tonight, so it's, it's pretty solid. And he was on my fantasy team until I traded him. But anyways, that's a different discussion for a different day. Um, so if you want to get on to the next topic, uh, and... That is that Tom Thibodeau has been fired as president and head coach of the Minnesota Timberwolves. So the timing of the firing was questionable. Um, it happened after they beat the Lakers by 22 points. And uh, and obviously, I mean, you, you have to uh, you, you have to question the, the Wolves in that respect, because history does not look at them favorably when it comes to making decisions in the front office or in the head coaching department. But um what do you think led to this firing? I think what should have happened was that Tom Thibodeau uh, would have been fired at the end of the year because the Jimmy Butler experiment didn't work, and that was a big hallmark on the Tom Thibodeau dynasty, however short it lasted in Minnesota. But um, what are your thoughts, Vikram? Well, I mean, I just feel like this should have been done sooner or waited for it to be later. One of the two. Uh, that being said, I think they've won their two games after he's been fired, if I if I have that correctly, because they won tonight and they won. Ryan uh, Saunders. Yeah, Ryan Saunders won his first game. So I, I don't recall that if they had another game in between that. I don't believe they did. So I think he's, I think suddenly they're they've won a couple games in a row and they beat they beat a pretty uh, they beat a the Pelicans tonight and Anthony Davis had 27 rebounds. He set the rebounding record in the season for the NBA. So apparently the team likes having. Saunders' son. Yeah, and I just want to give Ryan Saunders a quick shout-out before we move on. Um, Ryan Saunders, there was an article about him in The Athletic, and it basically talked about him being Flip's son and how it was hard for him to get in the coaching profession because of that and how, um, you know, he he took it very, very seriously. He had to prove some people wrong about, um, uh, about him being just his father's son. But it's right. a great story. Whoever has an athletic subscription should read it. Yeah, and uh, for the record, the the coolest part about his background is he started as a ball boy for this team. So can you imagine going from ball boy watching your coach, watching your father coach, to being the coach on the sidelines at, at 32 and having players that are older than you and then winning your first couple NBA games? Today was his first win at home. I mean, that's, that's an incredible story and an incredible experience. And hats off to the guy. I wish him all the success in the NBA. I mean, that's an inspiring story, and you know, that's it's good for us when we hear that. So, but regardless, the idea that Tom Thibodeau, sh- I think he should have been fired earlier, to be honest. Uh, and I'm not sure why they really waited. And to be honest, the idea, I mean, they they had this they had this idea going into it already, right? It's not right. like this was the precipitating. It wasn't a win or a loss type thing. They were going to fire him regardless, and they were just. They had already laid the groundwork and it came time to, to collect the bill. And I mean, from the Wolves perspective, they get an opportunity to move on, check out uh, Ryan Saunders and see what what he's capable of and give him a chance to compete for the job. Uh, but the owners said kind of specifically that, hey, uh, we're, we're aiming for the playoffs this year. And if that's the audition that uh, that Ryan Saunders has to complete, I, I think he's in for a little bit of trouble because I'm not sure that. The Timberwolves, as well as they're playing in the in the last couple games, are going to be able to make the playoffs. But and, so and, far, and, and listen, uh, we give uh, like Ryan Saunders all the luck in the world. We we hope that you know he does well enough to get get the job. That would be an amazing story. Having said that, I don't really think that the job is his. And going back to the odd timing, I think that the timing was really odd. Was that the Timberwolves had really circled Fred Hoiberg as a replacement for Tom Thibodeau, and we're going to move on from Tom Thibodeau after the season was over. But what ended up happening was that the UCLA job opening took place. And for those of you who don't know about UCLA basketball, I mean, obviously, it's a great tradition led by John Wooden. Um, 
And getting that job is uh, a really big job in the college basketball landscape. So Fred Hoiberg was a candidate for the UCLA job. And I think that's why Minnesota went ahead and fired Tom Thibodeau now. They wanted to give Fred Hoiberg some attention and, and basically say that, hey, this job is open too, and you should probably take the NBA job that we're offering you. We really like you. I mean, he's a possible candidate, and uh, you know, it's possible that he he's picked up for the job. Glenn Taylor really does like him, and I've heard that before. So, I mean, to that in that perspective, yeah, I mean, that's interesting timing, and that may have been a precipitating factor. But I mean, if Ryan Saunders can get you to the playoffs or can get you pretty close, this might backfire, right? In the sense of your if your goal is, hey, I want my goal is to get uh, Fred Hoiberg. My, yeah, my real question there I, is I, like, I, why I, not then, then hire Fred Hoiberg? It's it's a it's a uh, I I don't know how to how to put a term on the situation. It's. It's definitely a peculiar situation, I would say. If Ryan Saunders does a good job, obviously, if he oh. if he goes five hundred and they don't make the playoffs, that makes the decision a little easier. But I guess Ryan Saunders, he's sort of the age of being still being an assistant, and I think that even under Fred Hoiberg, he would be an assistant under him. So, um, I mean, we'll see sure. what happens. But, I guess uh, I just have one question, right? Yeah, what's up? Which is. If the goal was to hire Fred Hoiberg from the start, what prevented – what is what did or is or prevented them from just hiring Fred Hoiberg now? Well, I, I think you just want to wait until the end of the season. I think Why? You, you have a coach I, on an interim I, I, basis I that, that has been inside the organization so far. I, I mean that's been inside the organization this year, and it sort of makes for a smooth transition within the season so that you can make the move that you want to make in the offseason. Obviously, it could backfire if Fred Hoiberg really wants to take the UCLA job. And if he does, I heard that Monty Williams is the head of lead assistant for the 76ers, and he used to be the coach for the Pelicans. He's another candidate that I've heard. Yeah, and I, I actually really like Monty Williams, so I, I wouldn't be opposed to that either. But that being said, I kind of I kind of like Ryan Saunders. One of the things, if, uh, if anybody watched the game tonight, one of the things that I really appreciated was he played Tyus Jones 27 minutes. 28 minutes, I think, by the end of the game. I'm not 100% sure. But he played. That's way more than Tom Thibodeau ever played him. Yeah. Unless somebody was injured. Or, and that or is one of the major gripes that I've had with Tom Thibodeau. The inability to use his bench pieces effectively. Unless it was Derrick Rose. And I, I really feel like like that's one thing that got him fired. Is his inability to do basic rotations. And then also his tendencies on defense. Which there's nothing necessarily wrong with ice, ice, ice over and over. Like that's. But it's an outdated defense for today's NBA, and he he proved to be very inadaptable to a variety of changing conditions in the NBA, whether it was, hey, I'm going to play Todd Gibson and Anthony Davis and have my twin towers out there to his defensive schemes, his coverage of the pick and roll. I mean, he's an, uh, an amazing basketball mind, but for whatever reason, his ability to adapt to where the, the modern NBA was was a, a little more limited than I expected. I, I think it's more that he's probably stubborn in, in his ways and stubborn in his uh, in, in in his ability to uh, like know basketball to to the point where he thinks that what he he does and his principle is best and doesn't really want to change. I, I guess that's what it is. And an, another thing was that you have Dario Saric and you're not starting him. That that uh, that has always been insane to me and. I mean, Dario Sarge is still not getting minutes with the Timberwolves. I hope that changes because he, in a way, he's the perfect piece next to Carl Anthony Towns, the way he can go inside out and they can complement each other. Yeah, well, that defense is a little rough. I will say, Cat had four blocks tonight. He looked good. I saw him block a, an Anthony Davis jump shot. I mean, I'm I'm hoping that they can. Uh, I'm hoping that they can make a push here. I think the league is most is most interesting when there is a lot of parity and. When when teams are are pretty are competing for this spot, so I mean I'd be really 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 excited to see this. And Andrew Wiggins had a 40, 40 point game as well against I think it was the Thunder. That was Ryan Saunders' first win. So yeah, we'll we'll, we'll see how it goes. And, but going back to Tibbs for a second, do you think Tibbs has a future spot in the NBA? I maybe as an assistant. I really doubt it as a head coach. Hmm. I don't think so either. But for some reason, people like to speculate on him. 
but I I think based on how this uh, how his tenure with 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 the Timberwolves, I don't I I just don't see any team offering him a job at least for now. I mean, for, as an assistant, could could be the way he gets back in, but I, I, right now I don't I think that he has to sit out for a little bit. So um, related to coaching, uh, Jim Boylan, he is the head coach for the Chicago Bulls. He's getting a pay raise this year and next year. Uh, and basically what this does is that uh, it puts uh, sets it in stone that Jim Boylan is the coach for the Bulls next year. Vikram, why did the Bulls have to do this now? They actually did not have to do this now. I don't necessarily understand why they did this now. And, simple answer. Yeah, yeah, and this is the simple answer, and I don't get it. When you, I, when you fire a coach, I guess that's your decision. You don't agree with this philosophy. However, dysfunctional the Bulls have been over the past several years. We'll we'll let that go for just a second. But you hire an interim coach to give him a chance to give him until the end of the season to try and work something out, and if it works out, great. You extend him then. Do what the Grizzlies did with GAB Biggers. I, I I cannot believe I'm using the Grizzlies as an example of how to deal with your head coaches, but JB Bickerstaff was an interim head coach and he did well and he he got a full time job based on that. Why can't the same apply to Jim Boylan? Why are you so dead set on having him as the coach for this year as well as next year? I don't understand. I have no idea. I don't understand it at all. And my major reason for this is we already had a near revolt for the Bulls, right, where he was running the, 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 their players into the ground after a loss and all that, and his coaching style was abrasive to some of the players. I mean, with that already, like, in the, in the books, like, your conclusion is, hey, I need to not only send this guy, not only keep this guy for this year, but also extend him till next year, through next year. Like, I just don't understand the line of reasoning that got the Bulls to that. I would have at least tried to wait until the offseason like you're talking about. So I don't, I don't necessarily know what uh, they had in mind when they continued to extend him. Yeah. And I think it's a questionable decision because I think you have to play the field at least. And that's it's, – it's a very – it's a head-scratching decision, frankly, because there was no reason to do it at this time. Yeah. So I, I agree with you. I, I don't know. I don't know what what was uh, in the Bulls' minds, but man, their future is going to be interesting. Yeah, their their future is definitely going to be interesting. Uh, I really don't know what to make of it. To be specific, they have the players, but do they have a direction? And with this front office and the way they change head coaches and the way they deal with head coaches, it's it's very difficult to see a bright future there. Yeah, and I'm not I'm not quite convinced about the Laurie Markin and Wendell Carter fit. You know, there's there's other questions about them that I'm not 100 percent sure about. So I mean, I, I think their future is, is going to be interesting. I guess the question is, you know, how what is what is the best case outcome for uh, for Laurie Markin or Wendell Carter, and will they be able to reach their potential? And is that the building block you have on your team for the future? And will you know Zach Levine's con will it, will he live up to his contract, which he has. In my mind, he has so far. So, I mean, there are a lot of those types of questions for them. Uh, and, I mean, you know, that The good, the good me, news for them is that they're in the East. So, yes. once they figure it out, they they can jump up a couple of spots pretty quickly. And um, But the, the question is, will they ever figure it out? And that's, that, that's, that's why we're here. We're here to question that. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I hope they do. So, I, I will say they ended the... Ca- the uh, the campaign experiment finally and waved him, right? So, I mean, <laughs> things like that. I mean, they, they make decisions a little bit too late. But I did – I actually liked their their signing of Jabari, uh, Jabari Parker and taking a flyer on guys because, I mean, that's the kind of thing that they're going to have to do here. With And they did the same thing with, like, Chris Dunn who was struggling and he's had a, a, mixed, a mixed time there. But he's not he – he's not been terrible. And so, I mean, but I don't think, again, I don't think he's the answer at point guard. I think they're going to have to address that. Uh, they're going to have to address that sometime here. So, I mean, right. in that respect, I, I'm not quite sure exactly what their fu- their roster looks like, you know, in the future. But I do think they, they have a couple pieces to build around. But they're going to have to they're going to have to do something about their defense because Laurie Markkinen and uh, a 
players like Laurie Markkinen and Zach Levine are not really ever going to be projected as plus defenders. I think Laurie Markkinen at best is going to be an, an average defender. Yeah, and and that's probably his best case outcome. And with that, we move on. Stop talking about the Bulls. Okay, so <laughs> we're moving on to a, another topic, and this is regarding a player that usually we would not dedicate time on this podcast to, but we are because he's been in the news. He's been in the news a lot, and I guess whether it's for the right or wrong reasons is based on the perspective of who you're talking about. So Patrick McCaw. Uh, he was on the Warriors last year and uh, he was a restricted free agent and obviously did not want to re-sign with the Warriors for some reason and because of that signed a two-year six million dollar contract with the Cleveland Cavaliers now the interesting part is not him signing that contract is and more than it is what happened after he signed that contract so I'm getting going to get into that he signed a two-year, $6 million deal just to prevent the Warriors from matching because the Warriors offered him, I believe, two years, uh, around five, five and a half million dollars. And uh, that was their final final offer. And the Cavs basically won up that offer. So it, it gave the Warriors an inability to match that contract. So anyways, Patrick McCaw signed the contract. He was with the, the Cavs for a couple of days. And all of a sudden, the Bulls released Cameron Payne and for some reason, the Cavs thought that signing Cameron Payne was more valuable than having Patrick McCaw. So they waived Patrick McCaw. And through waiving him, they only had to pay him a mere fraction of his contract. Probably it was somewhere between three hundred and four hundred thousand dollars which is like chump change in the NBA. And uh, but that the important part of that is it made Patrick McCaw an unrestricted free agent with the ability to sign anywhere. And with that unrestricted free agency, he went ahead and signed with the Toronto Raptors for an um, for a minimum level deal, and became a res- and he's going to be a restricted free agent after this year. So if you can do all that math right now, Patrick McCaw is going to be a restricted free agent after next year. So he's basically in the same at the same point that he started off with as last year, but but he, but he's with a different team. Uh, so Vikram. Uh, this is a very weird situation and the Warriors obviously thought this was weird. So they want the NBA to investigate this. Are the Cavs in a little bit of trouble here? And, uh, do the Warriors have a case? I think the war, if uh, again, a proof is in, there has to be proof. And I don't know how exactly the Cavs are not going to tell on on themselves. Right. I don't know. I think, I think the NBA is, is investigating. And I think there is a valid question as to how this happened. And I think this is, kind of evidence of, of a loophole of people exploiting a loophole. Uh, I do think traditionally the uh, the punishment for this is the sacrificing of a first-round pick. So that would be terrible for the Cavaliers, right? Terrible. I don't necessarily know that that's going to happen. But again, I, I just don't know that there's enough proof for the, for the league to really take any sort of action. But are the Warriors right in opening up a case? Sure. I mean, let's be honest. They didn't care that much about – I mean – they didn't care about matching this because the financial implications for them was horrible because they'd have to pay on the luxury tax, which means they'd pay an absurd amount of money for every million dollars that they went over. And Patrick McCaw's $3 million that they would have to pay him would, would actually be significantly more under the salary tax rules. So with that in mind, it made financial sense not for them not to match. From, uh, from McCaw's perspective, he didn't want to be back, and he was trying to exert his, uh, his options – on the end, the one thing I would say if I was the Cavs is I would say, hey, we really need a point guard. And Pat McCall is not that, so we picked up campaign. Uh, <laughs> that's my justification if uh, I'm the Cavaliers. Do I think it's a good justification? No, but I mean, you know, people make very, very interesting decisions. There's I nothing There's nothing in the CBA that says that the Cavs cannot do what they just did. And Correct. until there's nothing in the CBA, there's nothing you can do. But But you can... Try and prove that the Cavs had malicious intent, and as we already discussed, that's extremely difficult. Yeah, but how hilarious would it be if they lost the pick and they they ended up being you know picking in like the top one or three or something like that, and the Warriors ended up getting that pick because the Cavaliers uh, wanted to play games with campaign. I would just I would laugh so so hard. If I, that I, I, I would laugh hard too because it's 
pretty much impossible. So what um, what the people on Twitter have been saying is that the Cavs can lose their pick, but that pick wouldn't go to the Warriors. The Warriors would just gain a pick, and it would be at the end of the first round. So the Cavs, from what I've heard, the Cavs would not be able, sorry, the Warriors would not be able to get the Cavaliers pick if the Cavs were in fact proven guilty. But the Cavs losing the pick in and of itself would be hilarious. That, well, I mean, that, that would be insane. Do you know who would actually get the pick? I, I Do you know the answer to this question? Uh, because I don't. I, have, I actually have no idea. I, I don't. If the Warriors don't it would get just be. It would just be one fewer team in the first round. So let's say the lottery oh, happened. I, see. I got you. I got you. Yeah, got it, you. let's say the lottery happened and the Cavs happened to win. They would just redraw. I got you. So there would only be 29 teams picking in the first round, basically. I, I, I guess. I guess that that is what would happen. And if the Warriors were rewarding a, rewarded a pick, it would be at the end of the first round. Something something like that. I don't. I have no idea. Like that's an interesting rule. I haven't really heard or seen any any talks about where that pick would fall if they would get it. So you know, it's interesting. I'd say it's very interesting. But uh, the, it is a subversion of the the draft pro of the the draft process and the draft contracts in terms of restricted free agency and having players on their rookie deals. So I mean, I understand why this is bad for the league. This is bad for the league, no matter how this goes, right? Yeah, absolutely. The fact that we're even dis- even discussing this and that this loophole even exists is is bad for the for, for the CBA. I mean, that's I, I guess that is something you should look into, right? What like being a restricted free agent and just being signed something that there has to be something to do with the how much the contract should be guaranteed if that player gets released how much on the hook is that team for uh for their cap space i i, I don't know I, there are multiple ways that you can approach this yeah i think it's just a complicated situation and i don't i don't have good answers for a lot of these questions I just think the Cavs should have been a little bit smarter about the way that they uh, they handled the situation. I have no idea why they did what they did. Just it makes very little sense to me. Me neither. Uh, unless you 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 want to stick it to the Warriors, which uh, I guess you failed. Okay, so anyways, <laughs> I digress and we move on. So uh, yeah, that was, that was a lot of content on the on on a guy who is barely getting playing time. Anyways, so. Um, a guy that should be getting a lot of playing time when he comes back, Boogie Cousins. Uh, he is returning, uh, sup- uh, reportedly, on January 18th against the Clippers. This is a long-awaited return. This is the day we've been waiting for um, this season. And uh, <laughs> what are you, what what is your take on uh, his return uh, in Jan- mid-January? This was probably the target date when he was supposed to return. Uh, but the thing is, with respect, respect to DeMarcus Cousins, I have not heard much about his rehab or how it's going. And the Warriors just decided to put a timetable out there. Bicker. So, yeah, I mean, he did you see that video of him dunking on uh, on, K, on KD in practice? Uh, I, did. I did. Uh, uh, I did. Mean, I won't say like that's you know end all be all of everything. Yeah, I, think, I, I don't look at that and say that oh Demarcus Cousins is ready to come back now. Yeah, yeah, I I was just happy to see him moving a little bit. From what I've heard, he's looked pretty decent in in scrimmages and is now trying to get into all of his game time situations, which is exactly what they're doing now with him coming back on the 18th. I project that he's going to play pretty limited minutes on his in his return. But his arrival for the Warriors is pretty fantastic, right, in terms of actually having a big that could play. Nothing against Kevon Looney, but he's like 6'9". And defending somebody who is three or four inches taller than you and weighs more than 40 pounds than you is, like, kind of difficult. So, you know, I'm glad that DeMarcus Cousins is going to be able to help the Warriors and provide them with a little bit of focus for the rest of the season as, yeah, our goal is to get DeMarcus Cousins a championship or whatever it takes to stay motivated in this league. So, I mean, that's... That's a good thing for them. And uh, DeMarcus Cousins is going to be starting right away now. His limits are, sorry, not limits, minutes. His minutes are probably going to be restricted to start off with, and he's going to get a game off here or there, probably will not play back-to-backs. That's probably going to be uh, a part of his recovery process. But he is going to start right away, so we're going to get to see how the five All-Stars play together. And... um, 
yeah, it should be it should be really really interesting to see how they work Demarcus Cousins in to their offense and how much opportunity he will actually get. I think they're going to give up shots for Demarcus Cousins. In a different perspective, I almost feel like he should have started on the bench and been able to get reps with the bench unit and also be the focal point of the offense while the bench was in. So that would have been what I would have expected. But it, but, but to, a, to, to, to your point, would that sort of be like throwing him into the fire? Because you're putting him in with a bench unit that, quite frankly, isn't very good. And yeah, I guess but, your, my, your retort to that could be, well, the bench on the other team is not that good as well. And I would agree. But well, I, you're, I, that's a lot of pressure you're putting on Cousins very early. I think there's a more argue. fundamental thing, which is that typically the Warriors have either Clay or Stefan at the beginning of the second quarter. So I wouldn't necessarily say he's the only option. I guess. I guess. Yeah. So, and I, I mean, they've actually played. Uh, I think I've seen Stefan Draymond start the second quarter, for example. Or if the he Warriors, comes like the, the big minutes. four for the Warriors have p- played a lot more minutes this year than they in have. previous years. Yeah, yeah, because they're not as good as the the team is not as deep. Not that they themselves, which I do think uh, Draymond is taking a noticeable step back, and Clay is actually starting to heat up now. But his overall shooting season has been somewhat disappointing. So I mean, I don't. So you said five All Stars before. They're definitely not going to have five All Stars this year. And, uh, well, obviously with DeMarcus being so injured, but I don't think Draymond Green has a shot at being an all-star this year. And uh, whether or not Clay makes it, with, while I think he is deserving, I'm not sure if he gets in this year. So Clay's getting hot at the right time for the all-star consideration, yes, I guess. Yes, he absolutely is getting hot at the right time. That's very true. Yeah, and uh, I guess with that, we move on from from that topic. So, uh, Boogie Cousins, hope looking forward to seeing you on the 18th, which is, I mean, this it's next friday so i mean this coming friday so saturday maybe we'll be able to analyze how boogie cousins did and with that we we move on um so vikram did you happen to catch the thunder spurs double overtime game on thursday night yes and i also caught tonight's game Ooh, yeah and uh, i guess i guess you could say the thunder got some retribution but i don't know if that really applies in a regular season game but anyways yeah, move, I actually, so there, there are some really important takeaways for me from today's game, less about the, the double overtime thriller, which it was absolutely thrilling and was definitely one of the best games of the season. So I don't want to say that it wasn't a phenomenal game. It was, it was great. I thought that it was extraordinarily entertaining and LaMarcus Aldridge is a beast and he's incredibly difficult to guard. The one thing I wanted to say about the, that first game which is the the Thursday uh, night uh, with, game? Yeah, the Thursday night game that went into double overtime. Uh, I had a problem with one of the calls that was made in that game. The technical which foul, was, wasn't it? Yeah, the I think, technical I think foul. Most people had a problem with that. No, I don't. So my problem with it is that completely and totally changes the flow of the game. In a critical time where emotions are high, there's absolutely no reason to call a technical foul in that moment. Was he being demonstrative? Absolutely. Did it warrant getting a technical foul, giving the Spurs the lead in the last minute, in the last couple minutes of the second overtime period? That basically gave the Spurs the game, if you really, really think about it. Because, I mean, Paul George hits that layup, and let's say he doesn't get the technical foul. It's a tie game. It's, it's, it absolutely is. It changes, it changes how the game is played. So I 100% agree with you. That was a pivotal moment in the game. And again... We always say the refs should not decide the outcome of a game. And this is one instance where I felt that they had more control over the outcome of the game than they should have. And that's not to say that, the, you know, that they're not things that the Thunder didn't screw up and all that other stuff. Like they could have won that game. It was winnable for them. And that's not to say like they did everything perfectly. They absolutely didn't. But the idea that a ref has an outsized impact on the on the outcome of a game is is not correct in my opinion. So – I had a problem with that with that in the game, and I think that that should have been. I don't know if what the league is doing as, as far as looking at that, but I do think some action has to be taken because that had an outsized impact on how the game was actually played. What do you think about that, Guru? What What did I think about the technical? I, I basically well, I basically echo your thoughts. Um, well, do you think, it do seemed you think unnecessary, and and. Yeah. And that's I guess that's that's your point, right? The refs sort of try to take over the game. In a way that 
in a way that they shouldn't. They sh- I, I don't want to say that they should know their place because that seems a little uh, too dramatic on my part. But you should you should know at what point are the game in the game are we? What what is the score? What is the situation? And has this player acted up before? And from what I saw in the game, Paul George did not show demonstra- demonstrably bad behavior over the course of that game to warrant a technical then. I, I, yeah, I also I also think like on the play in question, he actually did get fouled. So like, I kind of understood what he was saying. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, like there's all sorts of things like that. And to, to even finish that off, like the, the Thunder afterwards didn't get a single call. That's not on the refs. They just got some extremely extremely unlucky bounces i don't know if you uh if you watch some of that where yeah, yeah, I, I mean like calls uh, like they, they just got like there was replay replay was difficult in the second overtime yeah, it was, wasn't it yeah it was, it was it was hard for them i'm not saying that those calls were wrong in fact they the right call was made and i think the replay center did a good job in in correctly adjudicating what the call should have been but they had such poor luck in the second overtime period and with Steven Adams being hurt, too, I mean, the Thunder just got a complete and total, you know, they just got a really bad roll of it. But it all started with that that technical fall, George, so I was not very happy with that. Right. Uh, and, I do want to say Russell Westbrook, you know, with 20, 24 assists in that game. That's that exactly what I wanted to get into because, I mean, let's, I, I guess, like, we can talk about the finish and that that is very important. But I also want to get into Russell Westbrook and... How he's changed his game, his shooting slump this season. I think he's having the worst shooting year of his career. And it has actually helped him open up a different part of his game, which is his passing. I mean, he's always been a very, very talented passer. But I I really appreciate what he's doing, which is even when his shot is off, he finds other ways to affect the game through rebounding, through shooting, or through, uh, through passing, excuse me, not shooting through all these other auxiliary aspects that make him a great player. And I understand, like, I I believe in the law of averages. Eventually, his shot will fall. But what he needs to do is continue to do the things, the small things, and continue to average triple-double and do all of these things that are are significant for him. As long as he can continue to pass the ball and be a positive player on offensive defense, the— the Thunder should be very happy with this performance. And as far as the shooting, it will come. I, I truly believe that as the season goes on, his shooting stroke will find itself. I, I, I love the play in the game where he had an open three. He sort of pump faked and he passed it off to Terrence Ferguson, who was on the opposite wing. And he hit a, he hit a three. That, that was a great moment because yeah, the older oh, Russell Westbrook probably would have taken that shot. Thinking yeah, that I, it's a big I, shot, I should take it. But... He instead passed it off, and that's the difference in Russell Westbrook that I see in this year than in previous years. I think his maturity has increased. I think he's a much more mature basketball player over the last couple of years with Paul George. I think that's one of the reasons Paul George stayed, because he had a good relationship with Russell Westbrook and was confident that they could find their games together, and it appears that that's happened. So I'm really happy for the Thunder. I'm really happy for Westbrook. I hope his shooting stroke can improve. I hope his free throw shooting can improve. Uh, but he looked really good tonight just going to the rim with complete and total abandon. So that's one nice thing about tonight's game. I will say what tonight's game really showed me about the Thunder is I'm concerned about their ability to win games if their bench it doesn't show up. Because today, the, <laughs> the stars of the game today were Dennis Schroeder, Abdul Nader, and Patrick Patterson, who shot three for three from three, I believe, and did uh, and, and like those three guys had unbelievable games. I believe they scored 17, 16, and thirteen respectively, something like that. I'm yeah, not looking I'm at... just looking at the box score right now. That's amazing, Abdul Nader. Abdul Nader lit up. Didn't the Celtics want to get rid of him? They did get rid of him. That's and, exactly, and they did. But but wow, I mean, you go from someone who. I mean, who do, I mean, who's not part of a team to into a rotation? That's that's amazing. Good for him. And I, I will say he balled out today. He, he was going nuts. I did not watch I this mean, game. I mean, I did not I, watch I the game that happened uh, tonight. Yeah, so I have to go I back and, and watch finish. it. But yeah, I mean, that's good for the Thunder to yeah. get that win back. I think that it was good for the Thunder to get the win back. I think it was really good for 
the morale of the team, and it must have been a very difficult way to lose in, in the second overtime period with the technical foul and all that. So I'm glad that they were able to, to take that back. But I think that if the Thunder can get contributions from their auxiliary pieces, they're, they're a scary team. Because they have a, they are one of the best defensive teams in the league. They have they have closers in Paul George and Russell Westbrook. They have stars. They have good role players and complementary pieces. Stephen Adams is a beast overall. And if they get contributions from players like Patterson, Schroeder, and and Abdul Nader, like th- this is going to be a hard team to beat. Conversely, I, I when, like to I like to pre- preface uh, um, Paul George's name with the phrase MVP candidate. Because he he has definitely reached that that level of greatness this year. He's been fantastic. So uh, with with that, we move on to our, I think uh, our final topic of the day. Unless we want to talk about something else, um, the Pelicans, the New Orleans Pelicans, they keep losing. Uh, they're twenty and twenty three. They lost a tough game to the Timberwolves today. Uh, and Anthony Davis, he's putting up numbers, but uh, they keep leading to losses. And one has to wonder. Is Anthony Davis on the trading block or not? Is Anthony Davis eventually going to accept the Supermax contract? And this goes into this big discussion about are the New Orleans Pelicans buyers or sellers at the deadline? Uh, Vikram, what do you think about uh, the New Orleans Pelicans and their state coming into today? Uh, I think that their trade leverage is probably best sooner rather than later. That being said, I don't think they're going to move him at the deadline this year. If they do move him, and I think based on their record, they're likely going to have to move him, uh, they're going to move him sometime in the offseason. So I just don't think you can conceivably keep a player of Anthony Davis's caliber with the success that you've had now. And so I, I don't know what their solution is. But I certainly don't think that they've done a good enough job to deserve to keep them. That that might be a harsh take, but I think that's the reality. I think that they've kind of they've kind of squandered his best years. They've squandered years of his career. And before we completely drop the ball on the Pelicans, I guess uh, I would like to add they have had injuries this year. Um, Nikola Mir- Nikola Mirotic has been hurt quite a bit this year, and he's missed quite a few games. And he's a big part of how they're able to spread the floor with Anthony Anthony Davis on the court. And also Alfred Payton has missed, missed some time as well. But I guess the inability to sign Rajon Rondo is always going to come back to haunt the Pelicans, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, like, there there were things that they could have done to improve their roster. And that this has been consistent over 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 the years. I mean, they've, actually, they've absolutely been bitten by the injury bug several times. So it's not to say that they, you know, they've... They definitely have gotten unlucky in that respect, but their inability to put like a winning team around Anthony Davis, who is one of the best players of this generation, you know, I just I don't understand that, and I think that they've done him a disservice in terms of team building and putting a successful team around him. And when that's the case, I don't know why he as a player would want to, why he would want to stay. Yeah. So, and especially a player of his mentality, he's he's always talking about winning, making winning plays. Getting getting the Pelicans in the in the right direction instead of I mean in, in, instead of his own stats he he wants the Pelicans to win more more than anything else and when a, when a guy is like that you have to be concerned about him eventually uh, taking his ball and going somewhere else and that's uh, that's one thing that the Pelicans have to watch out for if this dry spell continues for them do you think the Pelicans make the playoffs this year nope that, that was that was that was quick. I, I really don't think so. I don't think they. I mean, they have a chance, but I highly, highly doubt it. And I mean, if they don't make the if they don't make the playoffs this year, I highly doubt that uh, they're going to keep Anthony Davis. There's a lot of competition in the West this year. I mean, you cannot oh, yeah. you cannot be a loser. They're twenty and twenty three, and if you they're in the race, but they're not, and that's that's sort of the problem, right? And they can come back and i mean if you don't rem- if you remember um anthony davis had a tremendous second half last year uh, especially after demarcus cousins went down he just went off and it's going to take that kind of herculean effort to get the pelicans to where they want to be and obviously they have to get healthy with miritich and um payton but i'll ask you this question 
The Pelicans make the playoffs if and fill in that blank. If. Yeah, if, uh, yeah. Just, just fill in the, I know you think that they they're not going to make the playoffs, but the Pelicans make the playoffs if and just fill in that blank for me. I mean, uh, they don't. <laughs> I, I don't. You're not helping. I, I, actually, I honestly don't see a way for them to make the playoffs. Like as as bad as that might sound, I I just don't see it. What 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 is it? What could they possibly do? Let's say they they are they're buyers buyers at the trade deadline. What what I could mean, they do to change your they're mind? They're gonna get the Pelicans have said that they are not going to uh, that they're not going to trade future picks. So that's not they're they're willing to trade this year's first round pick. This is their their ownership, but they're not willing to trade future first round picks. So who exactly are they going to get on the trade deadline with the set of assets that they have? Uh, that's actually going to be productive with just one first round pick. I, I don't see it. That's, I guess that's my problem. I don't, I don't necessarily see there being a single player that can help them. If, if you're not going to compete in free agency, you have to compete in the, at the trade dread, dead, deadline market. And if you're not going to compete in either, then you sort of ask for your fate in, in that. Yeah. Way. And then Anthony Davis is like, you're not really doing anything for me. So why would I stay? Hmm. I mean, from his perspective, I don't know why he would stay. I, I get it. I get if it. And... Not, I mean, again, I, I would say this. I don't think it's a. I don't think it's like a foregone. There are some people who are like it's a foregone conclusion that he's going to leave the that he's going to leave the Pelicans. That's a lot of money to walk away from, you know. And I, I truly believe that he's about winning and and all of that. And that's important, certainly. But so is your ability to like make money over a period of time. So it is a lot of money to walk walk away from. But I would add that I guess I, uh, especially a guy of Anthony Davis's caliber, he has endorsements. He has investments. He has other ways to make that money, and it's not like his next contract is going to be going to be low. It's going to be a pretty, it's going to be a decent contract. It's just not going to be the super max. Well, it's going to be. It's just going to be a max. It's not going to be super max. So I agree. Like, it's totally true that he he can make he'll make plenty of money no matter no matter where he goes. But I just don't want to give it. I don't want there to be a misunderstanding that we're saying like, oh, he's going to be a popper if he like leaves. It, it is a ton of money. That he is, he would be walking away from, and uh, yeah, with that we uh, move on. I mean, we don't move on. We're done with this episode. So hey, Bikram, two weeks, two episodes. How how, how do you feel about what we've accomplished this year so far? I'm really happy we've uh, stuck to our New Year's resolution to do this more often. I think it's nice to be able to put out content for our, our listeners every week. You know. I mean, it's it's something it's a hobby for us and it's something that we like to do. And in addition, for those who actually listen to the program, thanks for supporting us. And we'd like to give you more content. Yeah, for yeah. sure. And it's great to talk NBA with Vikram and talk with our fans as well. And speaking of fans, uh, if you are a fan, please subscribe to our podcast. Uh, we're on Apple Podcasts and Google Play. And please listen too, and please give fee- feedback. We would love your feedback. If you don't like me, say so. Uh, but say why, you know, you know, it's, you, you, I mean, I would like to know how I can improve and Vikram would like to know how he can improve as well. And, you know, the technical aspects, I mean, that's, that's definitely every, all the things that we can look into. So, uh, with that, uh, Vikram, you have any last words? No, have a good night, everybody. Have a wonderful rest of your weekend and a nice week next week. Yeah. We'll see you guys next week with more, uh, ballistic podcast, uh, and NBA stuff. Hopefully we have a lot of news this week. So until then, see you later.